You guys, we are starting a new sermon series this morning. Uh, It's called The Songs of Christmas. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be taking the different songs that we see kind of around the manger uh, with, with Zachariah and Mary and Simeon and the angels all had a Christmas carol. Um, and so what we're going to be doing is looking at those and really the challenge is often we, we kind of have lenses that we put on during Christmas season, the Christmas spirit, right? And we all get hot cocoa and peppermint mochas and we like to bundle up and we kind of make that the emphasis of what Christmas is. And the reason why we're doing this, the songs of Christmas, is because what they do is they speak truth to our hearts about really what the, the subject of Christmas is. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on. And this morning we're going to look at Mary and um, there's, there's a part, portion of scripture which uh, is traditionally known as the Magnificat or the Magnificat, uh, and it's Latin for mag- magnify. And so we're going to be looking at this scripture this morning, and it's just one of the songs, and so my, endorse, my encouragement to you this morning is to allow the Holy Spirit to shift anything that needs to be shifted in your heart. Uh, allow Him room to work on you this morning. Even this, this, this isn't about little baby Jesus, six pounds, seven ounces in the manger, and he's so cute, and we just keep him that way in our mind. This is, this is the truth about a king who came, God with us, Emmanuel. So let's launch into it this morning. So the thing about, about Christmas songs is there's a huge debate about when you can start singing Christmas songs. Isn't that true? So, so it depends on how capitalistic you are. Uh, if you're walking through the mall, you'll notice that <laughs> you'll notice that so, some songs are playing like October Christmas songs. The decorations, like it's just the moment the pumpkin goes away, Santa Claus comes up. You know, and some of us love it. Some of us are like, ooh, I just can't wait. So amazing! Some of us have Christmas trees up already in November in their house, um, and some of us are the opposite. We're like bah humbug, right? We only want to hear Christmas music, possibly like Christmas Eve and Christmas morning. <laughs> that's the only acceptable time to have Christmas music. The rest of the year, that's not appropriate. And so, really, what what a song does, though. I, I, I love songs, I love music, and why, one of the reasons why I love music is because what songs do is they have a way of expressing what's in our heart. You know, sometimes you can't just say something, and for me, you, you can't really dance it, you know? I'm not a good dancer. My wife's a really good dancer. Um, and for me, like, sometimes when I hear a song, I just go, yes, yes, you, you took the words literally out of my mouth, and, and you know exactly how I feel. And what we're going to look at today is Mary's song. See, it, it's, it's more than her just kind of like intellectually saying, I know the truth is this, and blah, 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 and so I'll write it down and look at it. And No, she can't help but just burst out in a song. It's like a musical. Some of you hate musicals. Right? It's like, why are they just talking and all of a sudden, I love you, you're beautiful. Um, but that's what Mary does here. She, she has this revelation and then all of a sudden she bursts out into a song because there's no other really way to express what's going on inside her heart. 
Um, so before we, we look at the, 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 the actual song here, let's give a little context of what's happening, okay? So right now, in this period of time in Israel, they're under heavy oppression by a Roman, uh, very authoritative government. And they've come in and they've, they've suppressed the Jewish people, um, their laws and their customs, they've, they, they still are able to carry those out, but it's, it's over this overarching umbrella of Roman rule. And so they're, they're an oppressed people. And they've been waiting for a long time for a Messiah. And if you've ever heard that word Messiah, it's a savior, it's a rescuer, it's, it's one who's gonna set their people free. And so there's been this silence of almost God speaking to the nation of Israel for 400 years, from the, from the old prophets of old and now until the New Testament. And so the whole nation is, is like in bated breath, waiting, when is the Messiah going to come? When is, when is God going to send our Savior? And that's kind of how we get in to our story here this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 26. Now we're going to read a lengthy portion of scripture, so don't, don't tune out. It's going to be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible this morning. Uh, we're going to be reading from the ESV, which is the English Standard Version. And this is the account where we see that where Mary can just not help herself but break out in, in a song. So Luke chapter 1, verse 26, and we're going to read all the way to verse 56. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Imagine an angel just appears to you out of nowhere. That alone would be scary. I mean, angels usually don't be like, they, don't, they usually appear in a lot of glory in the Bible. So this was like a, a heavy moment. Um, verse 31, and behold, I'm sorry, verse 30, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Just as Natalie spoke from Isaiah. Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Verse 39. In those days, Mary, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And then Mary responds here with her famous song, verse 46. And Mary said, we sang it this morning, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that there's stories like this, people that we can relate to, people who have the same circumstances and struggles and reality, people just like us who point us to how great you are. And uh, I pray this morning, God, that as we sit under your word, that you would remind us again of your greatness, remind us again of how amazing you are, God. Will you let our hearts be enlarged this morning where there's any part of us that has dimmed in seeing how great you are, where you shine your light of greatness on our hearts and cause our hearts to respond with love and gratitude and magnification of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I love how Mary starts off with her song. She doesn't start off with this, you know, kind of me-centered thing. What she does is she talks about how great God is, and she uses the word magnify. Now that word magnify is to make something that is the size that it is, but to make it bigger than what it is, right? Uh, if you've ever been in uh, what do you, what do you, a microscope, right, Austin? Yes, a microscope. If you've ever had to look into a microscope, when you magnify something, it's taking something that the human eye can barely see, and it, and it gets closer and closer. It's not literally getting closer, but it's almost as if you're getting closer and closer and closer and closer and closer to where you actually see the details and the colors and the textures of what this thing, what you couldn't see before, all of a sudden it becomes larger than life because what you've done is you've magnified it. And that's what Mary does here with the truth of who God is. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My, it's it's the, her innermost part of who she is takes something that with, maybe with the physical natural eye wouldn't na normally see, and she magnifies the greatness of who God is. 
And, and you know, you don't notice anywhere in here of her kind of being reserved in her worship. You don't notice that she's intimidated around other people. You don't notice that she's like, well, what will people think if... There's an exuberance in her magnification of God. And really what she's doing, it really sets the tone for us when we worship the Lord. You know, sometimes we worship God, and worship is not just singing on a Sunday morning. Worship is all of what we do in life, all given over to God. But particularly in our singing on Sunday, sometimes we're kind of like, you know, a little timid, a little, a little worried about what, you know, somebody next to us might hear us screech in our voice, right? Or we sing the wrong word, or the timing is a little off. We're concerned, but Mary doesn't give that kind of option for us in what true worship is. She magnifies from her soul. And I would say, I think there might be a little bit of that in us sometimes that we we don't really identify. And I, I would challenge us as a church, as a congregation, when we gather together to magnify God, to not care about who's next to us. Just like, just go for it. Kirk will come up and tell you if you're out of control, okay? <laughs> don't worry about it. But it's, it's almost like a crazy football fan. You know, you see these guys, it's like Lambeau Field, Green Bay, and they're taking, no, really? And, you know, they, they've taken their shirt off and they've painted over their hairy chest and, they're, and they're, they're like, yeah, you know, the camera comes on them and they're going crazy because they're magnifying their team. They're so excited about who their team is. They've magnified, and they're not concerned about, you know, their beer belly hanging out. They just go for it. Mary does the same thing. She, well. Not really. You know what I'm talking about. Now, here's what magnification does. I have these, these binoculars this morning. And the way that these are meant to be used, there's, a, there's the parts here for your eyes, and then there's the larger parts that focus on the thing that's to be magnified. And what, I, if I'm doing this, then I look back and I go, oh, whoa, Austin, you're like right in front of my face, right? But he's actually not right there. But when I look at this, I go, wow, I'm actually magnifying Austin, and I'm seeing him clearer, and I'm drawing close to him. And it's almost like if I didn't know better, I could almost whisper because I think he could hear me because it seems like he's so close. And that's what magnification does, is what we're doing when we're magnifying the Lord is, is spiritually, we're putting on these binoculars and we're looking at God and we go, oh my goodness, God, you're so amazing. But oftentimes what we do is we turn the binoculars around. You ever do this when you're a kid and you look at it and now it's like, whoa, you're so far away. I mean, if I, I can almost fit all of you guys in this little like one scope here because I've turned it around and all of you seem so much further away and we do that when we're supposed to magnify God but oftentimes we look at our problems in our lives we look at the situation in our lives and we go I know God is this but what I'm going to do is my circumstances are telling me to do this and so I turn it around and I go oh life is all these kind of things But Mary doesn't give us that option. She magnifies God. So how, how does Mary do it? I'm going to give us four things 
of, I mean, we couldn't, we, we can't break down this whole scripture this morning because there's just, there's, there's too much to go through. But I just kind of want to highlight four of the things that I think are helpful for us as we seek to magnify God in this Christmas season. As we seek to rightly see God for who he is, not just the cute little baby in a manger. So number one, and let's look back. Verse 48 says, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in my God, my Savior. Mary magnifies the Lord as her Savior. Now what is, what is the significance of that? What is the significance of, I mean, we all would go, oh, well, it's obvious. You know, like it's the Messiah. It's the one who's going to rescue Israel. But it's profound for you and I, because what Mary does is she recognizes that God, that, that first of all, that she's a sinner. And that she needs a savior. She recognizes that she doesn't have the strength to do what Israel needs or to bring about the answer for, this, for the current time and age. She recognizes that there is a Savior that needs to be sent, and she recognizes her position according to that Savior, that she's a sinner in need of grace. And I, I find it interesting as well that Mary keeps this binocular correct perspective of who Jesus is, even all the way up to the cross. You know, her standing there before seeing her son lying on the cross Yes, as a mother, she, she is in, she's distraught. But she also knew that her son was the Savior. And she kept that perspective all, all through her motherhood, which is incredible. And for you and me, sometimes we like to make Jesus out something that he's not. We, you know, like I've been kidding about it, but we like to make Jesus out, oh, he's just a cute little baby Jesus. That's the Jesus I love. Or he's the Jesus who always was just really, you know, meek, gentle, meek, and mild. But the truth of Jesus is that he came to destroy sin radically, powerfully. And he did it in a way that wasn't always so, so gentle and meek and mild. And so when Mary says, he is my Savior, what she's saying is, I am a sinner. I am in need of a Savior. And for all of us this morning, we should identify, yeah. I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a savior. Thank you, Jesus, that you came. You know the word Emmanuel? It means God with us. So often we sing that in songs during this time of the year, or, or, or you hear it playing in, in, in the radios or in the, in the stores, and people don't have a clue what the word Emmanuel means. But this idea that an almighty, omnipotent, omniscient, all-knowing, all, all the alls, God came down and humbled himself and became a man. This transcendent God became imminent. Emmanuel, God with us. And took our sin. Mary magnifies a savior. And so we need to magnify a savior. Number two. Mary magnifies through her insignificance. Look at this. What does she say? In verse 48, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. So what Mary's doing here is she's recognizing in herself that she's not some superstar. She's insignificant. Now here's the thing. 
Some of us, I, I struggle with this sometimes. I like to think of myself more highly than I ought, right? You know how you know you do that? Is if you've gotten offended. Has anyone here ever been offended? Okay. The reason why you're offended is because you think you're higher than that. You think, who are they to talk to me like that? Who are they to do this? You know, the clerk gave me this and I deserve this and I paid for this, America, you know, kind of a thing. <laughs> we think of ourselves more highly than we ought. My, my, my daughter, Savannah, my youngest daughter, I remember we were, I think she was about three, and we were just laying on my bed and we were just kind of, uh, girls are, if you have girls and boys, boys at three-year-old just go, <gasps> like that. And three-year-old girls can have an articulate conversation, okay? <laughs> so I remember her being about three and, and we're, we're talking and she's, she's, she says out of nowhere, Daddy, I'm the boss of Gracie. Now Gracie was uh, our best friend's daughter, about the same age. And I go, what? She goes, I'm the boss of Gracie. And I, I was like, no, you're not the boss of Gracie. She goes, I am the boss of Gracie. I go, no baby. You're not the boss of Gracie. Her daddy's the boss, and, and God's her boss. And I, and because I knew what was going on here, I knew that she was having a heart issue. Even at three, she wanted to be in charge. And I said, "Baby, you're the boss of nobody." <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, "No, I'm the boss of somebody." <laughs> Because there was, <laughs> there was something in her heart that she felt like, no, I, I'm more significant than this. I, I am more, you know, and I had to like, I had to say, baby, God loves you, but you are not the boss. I mean, there was something in her heart that wanted to rise up and she wanted to be in charge. But the thing is that Mary comes and she magnifies in spite of her insignificance. See, Mary, we've made her just by default, there's statues of her, there's pictures of her everywhere, and, and, and in, in some regard, rightly so, because God favored her and blessed her, and it was an amazing thing that God chose her. But God did not come down and send an angel to Mary because she was specifically an awesome human being. It's actually, she was quite normal. She was in a podunk town in the middle of nowhere that nobody in, in the Roman area would even know where this town is. She wasn't, there was nothing significant about her in the town. The Bible never says that there was something like spectacular. And it, was, it was like Belle and, you know, it's like she's around singing and everyone's, what a peculiar girl. You know, there was nothing like that. She was just Mary. But isn't it God, just like God, to do that all the time? He chooses what seems like insignificant people. You think of Joseph. He's a spoiled brat who has all these dreams and he brags about his dreams to his brothers. And then he rots in prison for years and years and years. And none of us would go, that's the guy who I'm going to choose. But God chooses. Moses, he, he can't even speak well. He, he, he pleads with God and says, please don't send me to, to Pharaoh. I, I, what, what a lot of theologians say, I have a stuttering problem. And, 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 and if I go back there, they're going to think I'm a deserter. They're going to remember me that I ran away. And who am I to go back and tell the king of what is the known world to let people go? David, even his own dad, when, he, when he, all his boys are lined up, the next one to be king, 
Samuel comes and he looks at him and he's like, no, these aren't the guys. And he talks to Jesse, the dad, and Jesse's like, well, there's David, but surely you can't mean David. And isn't it just like God to choose what seems like the insignificant? And Mary magnifies in spite of what she knows. She's no superstar. And some of us here this morning, you may disqualify yourself. You may like, well, I'm no superstar. Or maybe you feel, you know, like, actually, I'm worse. I've done bad things. Why would God ever choose me? And I would say to you this morning, don't do this when you magnify God about yourself. Say this. Oh my gosh, God, you're amazing. You're truly wonderful. I'm, I'm nothing but you, you, you're amazing. And, and it's interesting the words she used. She says, whatever you want done to your servant, let it be done. I humble myself. She magnifies God through her insignificance. What else? She magnifies God. She magnifies the great things about God. In verse 49 through 55, let's reread that part here. It says, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, and he's exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. I don't know if you guys ever thought about this, but the reality for a young Jewish girl in the context of what the time that she was living, to get pregnant would not have been a great thing. To get pregnant out of wedlock. It would have been a terrible thing. It would have been, it could almost have meant death. See, if, if the community would have found out about this and, and, and they could have actually brought her out in the center to be stoned. It wasn't convenient for Mary to get pregnant. I don't know if it's ever convenient to get pregnant. I don't know, I've never been pregnant. I mean, you gotta think about this. She was engaged. I mean, her, her, in, her in Joseph, her betrothed to be, decided to silently you know, divorce her so that it wouldn't, and, and kind of like do the Pontius Pilate thing, I'm just gonna divorce myself from that situation. And the reality for God to come into her world and her to become pregnant under the power of the Holy Spirit, for most of us, we wouldn't say God has done great things for us. For a lot of us would say, God, why have you done this to me? You don't understand. How am I going to provide? How am I going to raise God? How am I going to explain to my mom and dad and my brothers and sisters and the rest of this community, well, the Holy Spirit made me pregnant. Sure, he did, Mary. 
And see, what Mary does is she magnifies the great things of God. Not the troubles that are going on. Not the potential things that could cause her harm. And for you and I, Mary is so relatable because it's the same story over and over. Aren't you, aren't I, yes I am, always tempted to magnify the things that seem troubling? I got in a car accident, how am I going to pay? My car's breaking down, how am I going to pay? I have this, this medical bill, how am I going to pay? There's a situation relationally that's just unrest, how am I going to deal with that? How am I going to like provide? How are all these things going to happen? And what we end up doing is we take the emphasis off of God and we turn it and we magnify the problems. And we look at it and we go, oh my gosh, look at it! Oh, the horror! It's terrible, the teeth! And what God's called us to do is say, take your magnification off the problems and do like Mary did here. And magnify the greatness of who God is. Haven't you ever found that when you begin to magnify the truth of who God is, your problems seem like so small? I've found that. And really what it's doing, it's worship. We're going back to what Mary is teaching us is to worship God. Because I know that the moment my heart shifts from worshiping of God to worshiping things, the things let me down and then my world falls apart. But when I set my heart on magnifying the greatness of who God is, that never, ever, ever lets me down. Why? Because God never, ever, ever changes. He's the same today and tomorrow and yesterday and for eternity and right now in this moment and yesterday and 10 minutes ago and 30 minutes from now. He will never change. My circumstances, they're going to change. What Mary does is she magnifies the greatness of who God is, not on the potential of her problems. Let me encourage you this morning. I know there's people in this room this morning. There are situations that seem bleak and, and, and just full of despair. There's sickness, there's money, there's relations, all these kind of things. And it feels like when Christmas time comes, it just heightens it. Because we're supposed to like have a smile on our face all the time. And it's, we're so aware of these problems. But my, my encouragement to us this morning, can we not be a people who magnify the greatness of God instead of what seemingly seems like our problems being great? Can we not... Take the focus off of those things with our binoculars and see the truth for who God is. And as the truth of who God is begins to fill our heart, let's allow what seems like these insurmountable problems to grow strangely dim in the glory and grace of our Christ. That's what we're called to do. Last thing, and I'll end with this. Mary magnifies because she has Christ in her. Physically, she is carrying the Christ, the anointed one, the Savior of the world. Physically is growing in her. And she magnifies God because what a privilege to carry the Son of God.
Guess what? You know where I'm going with this. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you have put your hope and your faith and your trust in Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, the savior of the world, and you put that in him, and you've accepted him as Lord and savior of life, you know what? You have the Christ inside you too. Spiritually, Jesus is inside us as believers. Like what Kirk said this morning, if you have no, nothing else like to say about the, about the great things God has done for you, at least you could say he's forgiven you of your sins. I would, in, I would give in like, yes, absolutely. And the next part of that is if you have nothing be able to magnify God about this morning, you, if you are a believer in Jesus, you have the living God inside you. That should, I know it, I can say it all I want all day because I'm the preacher, but it should blow our minds that Emmanuel, this omnipotent creator of the universe, with a word spoke the stars and the planets and put them in motion and holds them in place where they are all of the time and sustains every beating heart that we have, every breath that we take, every, every, every image that we were able to reflect on our retinas, every single thing that we're able to do, this mighty God, Emmanuel, not only physically came to earth, but Emmanuel lives with inside us. What a privilege. We should magnify the Lord. My challenge to you this morning is, we all have a set of these built in to our DNA. It's called our thoughts, it's called our will, it's called our emotions, it's our heart. And so often we're just doing this. There's God, oh, and there's my problems, and then there's the car, and then, oh, oh, that's shiny, you know, all this kind of stuff. To magnify you focus on the one thing. Right now I'm looking at the cross at the back. My focus is on that. We've sung that song. Cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. That's what Mary did. That's our call. Christmas spirit, it's not eggnog. <laughs> it's not the toys under the tree. It's not the shiny twinkling lights on the Christmas trees. It's not the warm fuzzies we feel. The Christmas spirit is the Holy Spirit moving in us, keeping a focus on what Christmas is about. Can we determine to magnify God this year? Can we determine no matter what our problems say, no matter, no matter any of these situations, let's put our magnification on the true essence of what Christmas is this year. Will you guys stand?